Turn with me to the book of Colossians. We'll go ahead and throw our PowerPoint up. Just that first slide there. There's a, I kind of was praying this morning, meditating on some things. And it's kind of this notion struck my heart. If you fly a low flag, you raise a low standard. If you raise a low standard, you raise up poor troops. If you raise up poor troops, you don't win any battles. And for the last 10 or so years, we've preached consistently against the low standard in the American church, the, the standard that lacks honor for the house of God, the standard that lacks respect for the ministers of God, the standard that respects the sacredness of the sanctuary and the holiness of God's word. In our lives, both here and at home, we've got to make sure we're trying to honor God with everything we've got, that he is sacred and holy to us, that that his truth is paramount, that his standard is what we aim for, and we don't settle for anything less than the gospel standard, and since nobody's mastered it but Jesus Christ himself, we're always going upward. But I would just challenge you with all this teaching that we're doing, and we're about to wrap it up. Next Sunday will be our last Sunday of this kind of season of judgment when we tackle our last Achilles heel of fear and insecurity. In your personal life, just keep raising the flag the standard, not the American flag, the flag of the gospel standard. Just keep flying it higher and higher. Nobody knows where the height is, where the top is, so we just keep climbing. We keep pursuing. And don't ever settle. This region settles for mediocrity. Mediocrity is easy. You can build a mega church out of mediocrity and entertainment, but you won't build a strong saint. Mediocre churches produce mediocre saints. And when you fly a low flag, you raise a low Christian. And you can't do much with low Christians. I have a lot of ministry friends across the spectrum from almost every denomination. And the ones that complain the most about their ministry are those that have the most loose standard. I've, even, I've got Catholic friends now too. They don't complain about the caliber of their folks because the Catholics haven't come off their standard. It's not our standard. It's not our vibe, our flavor. But they have their things set, and that's what they do. And if you want to be a Catholic, you come up to that. And I've made the demonstration before. Even Catholics, even the mafia who are, you know, kind of stereotypically Catholic, they respect the house of God. They dress up nice for the house of God. They support the house of God. They protect the priest. And for some other reason, you know, the American church thought we'll be cool and if we can be cool like the world is cool, we'll win the world and we'll make Jesus. He's our product. And I think that's the damning mindset is that Jesus is our product. He's not our product. He's not what we sell. He's God. He's who we proclaim. And it's real simple. Believe on him, be saved, reject him, go to hell. That's, that's it. No coolness involved. In the times of the early church, if you were at the cool kids, you denied Christ. If you were outcast with Christ, you martyred, were martyred with him and you were partakers of his sufferings. So we just as a church, I as your pastor, I'm always going to reject the reduced standard, the low standard, the easy standard. Uh, we're going to reject the church growth seminars because I'm not called to grow a church. I'm called a gospel preacher, not a church grower. And I make a strong distinction. When you preach... God does the rest. When you grow, you got to market, you got to strategize, you got to have meetings, you got to waste money on advertisements and 
social media. There are churches that have social media interns and social media hires. I, folks that their whole job is to just market on social media. What? What? You mean the church really stunk until we invented social media 10 years ago? I mean, we, we couldn't get this gospel out there until we had Zuckerberg give us the gift of Facebook? I just don't get it. The other thing while I'm swinging on it just a little bit, I hear a lot of my pastor friends just, they're so excited that COVID, they have to stream now, but they said, we're reaching more people streaming than we've ever reached in person. I don't think that's worth bragging about because if you're not in person, you're not really discipling. You might be putting a message out there, but streaming is just the new Christian television. It's fluffy, it's puffy. It might make you feel important, but it doesn't mean you're really touching anybody. Because if you're really touching people, they'd find a way to get to your church or your service. So really, you're just kind of enabling them. So it might be stream church is the new enabler. It enables lukewarmness. It enables mediocrity. It enables staying at home. It enables skid mark church. It enables just, it, well, we can always stream. Well, what if you can't always stream? What if they start pulling the plugs on us as churches because we preach the word? There's a funny thing about the anointing when you're used to it and you're trained by it. I get done with services sometimes and I go, I go through my mind of what I said. I think, why did I say that? that it would have been better not to say that. Then I get in the service, the next service, and the anointing gets on me and I say it again. I'm like, wow. All right. God, you got to sort it out because eventually someone's going to get mad at it. So those of you that stream, because you can, because you weren't ever actually growing in Christ while you were in person, what will you do when they kill our stream? Wither on the vine? Because you're barely a raisin now. Yeah, streaming numbers don't impress God, and they shouldn't impress you either. Overcoming lust. That is our sixth Achilles heel. That'll tie into, you know, the lust of numbers, the lust of acceptance. I don't want us to view this simply as sex, though I'll cover that briefly in the very end. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to read it in the King James first, then we'll go to the NLT because I have that on the next slide, the New Living Translation. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, that is, put to death the works of your body. And he goes on to list them. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Uh, New Living Translation says, So put to death whatever in your nature belongs to the earth. Sexual immorality. He doesn't say sex. He says immorality. Sex is designed by God. It's how husbands and wives share intimacy and create life. It's a, it's a miracle. It is, and that is no hyperbole. It is truly a miracle. It's, it's just unbelievable. It's just, you have to be willfully pagan to not believe in creation when you understand how two cells come together against all odds and create life that splits and replicates and mitosis, meiosis, and, and you have a baby. Even the psalmist said, you don't even know how the bones form in the womb. You go from two cells to a baby infinitely complex 
with organ systems that function, that breathe liquid for nine months, receiving oxygen through blood, through an umbilical cord that we model now in science with astronauts. Oh, aren't polywogs amazing? <sighs> yeah. Sexual immorality, impurity, shameful passion, evil desire. Not all desires are evil, but there are evil desires. And greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. New Living Translation says sons. King James says children. It is the Greek word huios, which means sonship. This is talking about believers. So as believers, when you are a part of this, this is defines your life. Sexual immorality, impurity, shameful passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. The Bible in the lovey-dovey New Testament says God's wrath is coming for you. What does God's wrath look like? Well, your family falls apart, your children fall apart, your career falls apart, your life falls apart, your body falls apart, your, friend, your friendships fall apart, everything around you just begins to disintegrate. That's the wrath of God in this life. And it's designed to cause you to repent so God's life can come back on you. The problem with stubborn rebels is that they think they can keep putting their life back together without the help of God. You can't do it. You can't function. The, the presence of God on your life is pure oxygen. And you can't function in life without pure oxygen. Just keep working. You're burning what oxygen. It's like when you backslide, you take one last deep breath of oxygen, and then you go to do your thing. And that last deep breath of oxygen will only last you so long. And the more you fight, the more you burn it the more you, you begin to get groggy and you begin to get hazy in your thinking and your motor skills get slow and your speech gets slurred, that's Christians who backslide. Everything slowly falls down and you think you can go through life without taking another deep breath of God's presence and it won't work. You can go through the motions if you want to, but that doesn't mean God's with you. God wants you to just chill, be still, know that he's God, repent, take in a deep breath of him and watch your life begin to come back together. So this is a message about discontent appetites, not just sex. So please, when we say lust, don't just think sex. If that's what you think, that's probably where your lust is flaring up the most. And, and we can fix that. We can give you doctrine for it anyway. But I don't want you to disparage or, or just condescend to the fact that maybe lust could be in a nursing home. And grandma, next to another grandma in a nursing home room, well, they're in lust over whose grandkids are coming in next weekend. That's lust too. Vile, bitter, jealous. That's lust. We're not talking about intimacy. We're talking about she got her grandkids two weekends in a row and mine haven't come to see me for a month. There's lust there. So this is about discontent appetites. The root behind every act of lust is discontentment. And you've got to learn to be content. So what I'm going to show you this morning is a bunch of scriptures and some thoughts. I don't have any quotes. The last thing I was going to do is Google search lust quotes. I don't care what the world has to say about it. They're pagans. <laughs> Amen. So we're going to give you a bunch of scripture this morning. Let's define lust. Lust is the discontented desire for anything. Lust is the discontented desire for anything. For attention. You could lust for attention because you're not getting enough attention. You could be the funny man and you're always cracking jokes and that's lust because you are discontented and not being recognized in a room. 
This can be the funny man. This can be the loud, boisterous woman in a group of women. The one that always has to draw attention to themselves is typically full of lust, lust of attention. It's the discontented desire for anything. You can lust after a new car. You can lust for a career. You can be in lust for a beautiful yard. When, I, when we bought our house 10, 11 years ago, I never understood yard lust until all the retirees started putting in sod. We live in a newer neighborhood, so all the retirees were building their houses, and they had the extra five or eight grand to put in sod. And here, I'm just barely growing weeds. And I never even cared about a yard. I hated a yard as a kid because I, I was one of me and my brother cut, cut it, and it was almost an acre. So I never even paid attention to grass as a kid. Now I'm a homeowner and all the old retirees with more money than I can shake a stick at putting in eight grand a sod and it looks like a leprechaun village and I look like trailer park, you know, just weeds here and dirt. And I was out there one day picking up rocks and one of the neighbors rode by and said, keep on picking them up. There's a lot of them. Like you're not. No, I never knew the lust for a green yard. I had not known lust had it not been for retirees. <laughs> so we spent, Marlon helped me a lot. We spent probably five or six years just sowing seed and sowing seed. We probably spent eight grand in seed because eight grand of sod was just too much all at once. So we finally had, in fact, during worship, my mind's going, I got to get home and cut the grass because it's like nine inches tall after all this rain. I don't want to cut the grass. That's what my mind's trying to think during worship. I'm saying, shut up, worship the Lord. But that grass is so pretty. It's so tall. We fertilize it every month now. Why am I fertilizing? Worship the Lord. You got to preach in two minutes. <laughs> but we got nine inch grass out there. Oh, it's time to get up there and turn the mic on. Oh, it's worship the Lord. <laughs> you want something and you are convinced you will not be happy until you get it. That's lust. You want something and you just won't be happy. It just consumes you. Amazon does this to you. Bezos made himself a quadrillionaire, giving you two-day prime shipping. Because now I, I ordered at a stoplight, and it might be at my house tomorrow. And if you have Amazon on your phone, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And honestly, it's horrible on your budget if you have one. You should have one. You see something, you think, I wonder if they make that. They do. They do, and you can have it at your house in two days from the Murfreesboro Shipping Center. There's nothing I've looked for on Amazon that Amazon didn't have, and China didn't have a better version at half the price. Funny names like Huebolo Grill Covers. So I have a Huebolo Grill Cover out of China because I'm not paying that money for the Weber Grill Cover, but I get a Huebolo one. If you need it, they've got it, and your lust says, I won't be happy till it comes in the mail. So some folks break their budget trying to find happiness with the next package in the mail. And you know what it's like. You open the mailbox and it's Christmas again. This little package smiling at you from A to Z, Amazon, A to Z. The deception of lust rests upon the fact that the lust wants to be consumed upon a God-given promise like sex or marriage or money or influence. Lust is deceitful because... You want what God said you can have. So then you are convinced I can get it myself. My hand hath gotten this thing for me. So then you become trained by your own lust. You say, why should I go without? Why should I do without? If I can have it now, why not give it to me now? And you become the arm of your own salvation. You become your own strong man. And God doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to trust him for everything. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to learn 
how to look to him as your supply. And you get permission when you want to make purchases from the Lord. Big purchases. I mean, obviously, if you need gas, you don't get permission to get gas. But there are purchases we as Americans just waste money on that. If you'd have spoken to the Lord, he'd have said, you don't need that. Don't buy that. We've all been there where we bought something and the Lord dealt with you to take it back, send it back. Or why did you waste that money on that? I think we've all been there. That's part of being in a very materialistic society. The Lord has to curb that in our lives. The deception of lust rests upon the fact that the lust, I would say, usually wants to be consumed upon a God-given promise like sex. That's a God-given promise. It's a God-given drive. It becomes lust when you meet it or take care of it unlawfully. Same with marriage. A lot of folks have pierced themselves through for decades by jumping the gun and marrying somebody or pursuing somebody or dating somebody and falling in love with somebody they should have never even looked at twice. Yeah, but marriage is the will of God. Not every marriage is the will of God. Marriage as an institution is the will of God, but you marrying that person may not be the will of God. So you have to walk with this. Same with money. Money, God says, I give you the power to obtain wealth. He doesn't give you the power to rob banks. He doesn't give you the uh, permission to uh, steal taxes or tax evasion. He doesn't give you permission to steal the tithe. Those are ways of getting money, but they are rooted in lust, which Colossians calls greed. And he also calls greed idolatry or even influence. God wants to give every one of us influence. Influence first and foremost for the kingdom of God. Influence in prayer, influence through evangelism, influence on your job. But you can, maybe not in this church, but there are churches, there are people who are consumed of gaining influence. Now the dream job for most of these Z generations, these Zoomers, is I want to be a social media influencer. Okay, well that's really just like eye whoredom. You're just a whore for the eyes. You sell your image, you sell your body, you sell, 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 so you can make money by just taking pictures and putting filters on it. Put a little cute cat, cat mouse and nose ear and ears on it, and aren't you cute? Your life's going nowhere, and it got there three days ago. You can be in lust over influence. When God gives you influence, it's tremendously heavy. It's a responsibility, and you can't fail God on it. When God gives you marriage, it's a tremendous responsibility. When God gives you money, it's a tremendous responsibility. When God gives you rights to sex, it's a tremendous responsibility. And when God gives it to you, it's going to be under all of it under attack constantly. Lust will cause the right thing to be pursued at the wrong time or with the wrong motive. It can be the right thing, but the wrong time and the wrong motive. We teach this heavily on dating. The right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. The right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong thing. Same with marriage. You can be engaged to the right person or like the right person, but it doesn't mean it's the will of God today. In our own church, Melina and AJ have known each other since they were children. And Melina said at 13, that's my husband. And AJ was 10 or 11. Well, do we let them get engaged next week? No. Do we let them date in six years? No. And now they've been married 10, 11, 12 years in our wonderful helps in our church and do great leadership things. You can recognize the will of God, but you can be in lust over it at the same time. Remember when Moses recognized he was called to be a leader and he killed an Egyptian? That was lust, the right thing at the wrong time. And it short-circuited things for 40 years. That's the power of lust, short-circuiting the call of God, the destiny of God for 40 years. We don't have 40 years. 
Most of you here know, even our 20 and 25-year-olds, you'll be in retirement in 40 years. We're not living biblical ages. We don't get to start ministry at 80 and still have 40 years of ministry ahead of us. When you start things at 80, like a puzzle, you hope you can finish it before you die. <laughs> You're happy to finish any meal you can when you hit your mid-80s. Uh, what's your ambition, Grandpa? Finish this meal before I meet Jesus. <laughs> Lust defined. Lust will convince us that we cannot do without it. It consumes us until we satisfy the appetite. That's how you know it's lust. It just won't leave you alone. The, the, the solution is easy. You just speak to it. That's what we do. That's our faith. That's our dominion. We speak to trees. We speak to mountains. We speak to demons. We speak to storms. We speak to lust. You say, shut up. I don't need that. Shut up. I cast down that feeling, that emotion, that desire. The thing that we have been duped in as Americans, and maybe we've spread it all over the world, maybe we didn't market it or corner market it or invent it, maybe we just mastered it. We think that if it's in our heart, it must be God. And you need to be able to make a distinction between the word of God, what the word of God says, what the spirit of God is saying for the now and what your heart wants. We can take marriage. The word of God says it's not good for man to be alone. He needs a helper and be married in the Lord. So you got Bible for marriage. And then you've got what the Spirit of God is saying, which is not now, not now, not now. But it's in the Word. Not now, not now, not now. It's not the time or the season. And then you've got what your heart says. But I'm so lonely and he likes me. He sent me two texts a month ago. He paid attention to me when the other six women wouldn't pay attention to him. Just because the Word promises it and your heart wants it doesn't mean you get to have it today or in the next five years. You gotta make this distinction. The Spirit of God has every right to come along and just drive a, a death nail into what you want. And that death nail will come and you'll know God is against whatever your heart wants, but you, now you're left with your heart still wanting it. And you've got to be able to say, all right, Lord, that's what you want. My heart's not there, but I will speak to my emotions. I'll speak to my desires and I will turn my heart till it lines up with your word. And any one of us can grow these weird desires, these weird dreams, and these weird ambitions. And in the pursuit of that is what would be called lust. You know, my testimony is I did martial arts for a long time, specifically competition judo and jujitsu, and was pretty good at it. And that's always kind of been a part of me until the Lord just started dealing with me that, no, no, you don't get to do this anymore. And I've tried to flirt with it on and off over 20 years. And it's only within the last really year or so that I realized I can never deal with this again. I can't touch it again. And the Lord, the Holy Ghost has permission to come along and say, stop it. Put this to bed. This is never going to be you again. Let it go. It's almost, I'm embarrassed to say it about myself. It's almost like the high school football champ still wearing his letterman's jacket at 35, trying to relive the glory days. Military people try to do this too. Uh, you're not in Afghanistan anymore. You're not on the 50 cal. Nothing wrong with that experience. God bless you, but you're not a seal. You're not even a baby walrus. You're not even an otter. Not even a Smoky Mountain River otter. I'm like, you work at a factory. You got a job. You got kids. Let's get back to reality. Trying to live there in your mind is lust. Trying to fancy yourself as some killer is lust. And you can feed it by watching military movies you shouldn't be watching. 
Just like I had to get to a, through a season where I could watch UFC and it just not, for a while I couldn't watch UFC, Ultimate Fighting Championship, because it would elicit all those old flavors of when I did martial arts. Now I can watch it and it's just neither here nor there to me. You've got to be able to regulate your heart so that it doesn't feed your lust and be able to know what you can and can't watch. Everybody can and can't watch different stuff depending on their lusts. I can watch HGTV for about 20 minutes and think, bah. Other folks watch HGTV, they want to flip houses and they'll destroy themselves financially to do it. I can watch NASCAR for about three seconds and then just like, that's retarded. and walk away, and like, that was a waste of three seconds. I'll never get that time back again. <laughs> and other folks can almost go into debt trying to be a NASCAR racer, because it feeds the lust. So everybody's different, and there's nothing wrong with HGTV, there's nothing wrong with NASCAR, there's nothing wrong with military, or even some, some martial arts, but you have to know where your weaknesses are and what is feeding and priming that pump of, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. Because that'll become lust. Lust will convince us that we cannot do without it, it consumes us until we satisfy the appetite. To overcome lust, we must submit the motive and timing of the pursuit to the will of God. Lord, do I have permission to do martial arts anymore? No. Okay. Lord, do I have permission to do old samurai movies anymore? No. Okay. Lord, do I have permission? And I don't even want to ask now because he's taken everything away from me. Lord, do I have permission to watch, you know, like a kung fu movie? All right. I can do that. Lord, do I have permission to, I don't know, wrestle with my kids? Oh, I can do that. You got to judge yourself and see where your weaknesses and your lusts are. Not all lust is sexual. Amen. Might be lust as you wasting money on your grandkids because you already bought them $100 worth of junk last week. You're just buying future yard sale memorabilia. <laughs> I just want you to know, I'd rather have money. I want my kids to rather have the money I mean, yeah, I understand grandparents, that's part of their right is to spend money on their kids but, or their grandkids and spoil them. But maybe that's your lust. Maybe you use your grandkids as an excuse to spend money because you, really you like spending money for you. It makes you feel good because you get to bring something home in a bag. Some people are that way. It's weird. They just can't wait to get home with something in the bag and they don't want to do anything with it, but they got something in the bag. You've got to figure out where your lust is. Submit it to God. Submit the motive and the timing of your pursuit to the will of God. You know an appetite has been rooted in lust when the fulfilled desire afterward leaves you unfulfilled and just as unhappy as before. You know it's lust when you fulfill it and you're just as empty afterward and unfulfilled. That could be martial arts. That could be illicit sex, that could be a purchase, that could be a career change, that could be anything you name. Does it fulfill you? Does it satisfy you? Sometimes we just do things because we're driven of lust and we're still empty after it's said and done. Proverbs 17, verse 24, wisdom is before him that has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. The eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. The fool is always looking for something else, something else. That's like saying that grass is always greener, grass is always greener, grass is always greener. The eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. You're not satisfied now. You're not happy now. You're not content now. You're looking for that next thing. The next purchase, the next toy, the next motorbike, the next motorcycle, the next boat, the next pontoon boat, the next house you can build, the, the next car you can purchase, the next dress, the next handbag, the next phone. If that's where you're looking for joy and contentment, you're full of lust, not sexual lust. 
But you can tell it's driven of lust because once fulfilled, it doesn't satisfy you. I was reading the testimony of a former homosexual, and those people are real. Former trans, former homosexuals, former lesbians, because people are walking away from the lifestyle. In this church, we even have former homosexuals this morning. Just want you to know that. Okay? So this former homosexual got born again. Now, there are born-again homosexuals. They just are very much torn. And this former homosexual who got born again, he said, I had a demon. And he said, this demon drove me and made me feel so effeminate, so, so, he didn't use the word sissy, and I don't mean that as a pejorative, but so effeminate, so unmasculine. He said, it drove me to consume men sexually on a regular basis in hopes of absorbing their masculinity so that I could be a man again. And he said, that's the best way I can explain how being a homosexual was. I could not ever feel manly enough. And the more I consumed men in that appetite, the less manly I felt. But I was always felt or told, the more of those men I can consume, the more manly I will feel. That's lust. Folks, men in big cities brag about getting on Grindr, which is a hookup site, and ordering men to their door like Uber Eats. Random hookups ordered over the app Grindr, like you and I might do Uber Eats or whatever. This is America. Proverbs 27, 20. Let's find something a little more uplifting than ordering human beings like Uber Eats. Proverbs 27, 20, talking about discontented appetites. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. So a lustful appetite is, is equated to hell. If you don't restrain your appetites, they'll never be satiated. They'll never be satisfied. It'll be a bottomless pit. So we have to make sure we're able to regulate our appetites. I've told you in the last few weeks in a service or two, set your desire on something, then withhold it from yourself just to practice withholding something, whether it's dessert or whether it's another ball game or whether it's another movie or another episode or whatever your thing is, a purchase. Get on Amazon, load your cart up and just say no and empty the cart just to practice the self-control. Don't, don't load it up with junk like toilet paper and Lysol and whatever. Stuff you want. Stuff that you could really, really like and just set your lust on and just look at it and go, yeah, that would be awesome if I could have it in two days. And then what? And just watch the victory you get by saying, empty cart. Are you sure? Yes. Really sure? Yes. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yes. I don't want this. <laughs> Not all lust will defile your body, but all lust will defile your heart. Not all lusts will defile your body, but all lusts will defile your heart. I will say this, lust, lust affects how you see yourself. Lust defines who you are, and you define yourself by your lust. Uh, going back to martial arts, I could, I'm not known as a martial artist. That's not my demeanor. That's not how I carry myself because it's, a, it's not a drive of mine anymore. I'm, that's not what I'm known for. That's my past. 
I'm not known for really anything I used to pursue. I'm kind of known as a geologist because that's still part of my life. I'm known as a caver because that's part of my life and my hobbies. Uh, but whatever consumes you begins to be part of your testimony, your persona, your image. And you need to ask people, if you're brave enough to, what do you see about me? What, what, what's my billboard? What's my advertisement to you? What do you know me as? And then see if that's what you want to be known as. And see how much your lust or your insatiable appetites are playing into that. Are you known as faithful to the house of God? Are you known as a prayer warrior? Are you known as clean? Are you known as holy? Are you known as a student of the word? Or are you known as the guy that dates everybody who stands still long enough? Are you known as the guy that is always pursuing this or the woman that's always meeting this? I, you have to figure this out for yourself because lust is different. If we just talk about sex, you can either, it's either up or down. It's either, yes, I'm in sexual lust or no, I'm not. When we talk about lust in this regard, we're going to touch everybody. Some folks... Their control issue is rooted in their lust. They're controlling because they're trying to fulfill an appetite that can't be held any other way. They want to control the family come Easter. I want to control the family come Christmas. I want to control the family come vacation time. Or I want, to, I want my boy home for the summer. Or I want my grandkids. It, this can be control issues that you're heaping upon insatiable lusts. Because we can give you what you want, but if it's a lust, it's not going to be good enough. And then I, then I want that. Well, then you didn't do this. And then I want that. Your control issue could very well be fed by lustful appetites, insatiable discontentment. Lust won't let you be happy until you get food. There's a food lust. It produces obesity. We eat to live. We do not live to eat. We eat to live. We don't live to eat. Some folks look to food as comfort. That grieves the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ said the Holy Ghost would be your comforter, not a bologna sandwich, not Rocky Road, not Ben and Jerry's, not toffee. We could make a biblical argument that coffee is a good comforter, and it's endorsed of God because we hear about Jehovah, Java in the book of Hebrews. And the awakeneth glory cloud, but that's just bad doctrine. You can have food lust. Yeah, we've covered that enough. When you pursue buffets every meal, you have a food lust. When you are so determined, you got to get your money's worth for this food. When you're worried about getting your money's worth for food, you're usually buying low caliber food and eating too much of it. That's a food lust. You're not going to be happy. And then when you're done, you're already thinking about what you're going to do for dinner. A baby. You can be in lust over a baby. Every mother who had a baby had to fight this. And I've watched it enough now over the years. I tell all of our young husbands, all right, I'm going to be preparing you, man. What is it, pastor? Sometime in the next year or two, your wife's going to look at you one day and say, I want a baby. And he'll be like, you'll be like, okay. And she'll say, no, now. I want a baby now. And you're going to have to tell her, honey, that's great. But even if we make it work today, we got nine months. And what that woman, we've had to walk a lot of the ladies through this. They have to learn contentment every month. They miss their cycle till they get pregnant. All you mamas know what we're talking about. You never knew there was a baby lust 
until all of a sudden you missed your first period, then your second period, then your fifth period, then you're two years into wanting that baby, and all of a sudden now you're looking in every direction on how to satiate this want. And yet the Lord says, be content with such things as you have. All I have is a dog and I want a baby. Be content with that dog. I have two kids. I want four more. Be content with the two that you got. Keep practicing on them. Because adding kids is an exponential issue, not a multiplication issue. You can get baby lust. And then to watch all the other ladies get pregnant ahead of you, it can be torment for your soul until you learn contentment. Time with grandchildren. That can become lust. There are grandparents that don't care anything about their grandchildren. Uh, there are grandkids that grow up never knowing their grandparents, and that's unfortunate as well. But then there are grandparents that are so far to the other ditch, they're needy, they're weird, they're clingy, uh, they're controlling. They'll even fight with their child over it. I want to see my grandson! Uh, you're a weirdo, and I don't even want to spend time with you, and you raised me. And if you think I'm going to let you, oh, no, oh, you yell at me and pound your fist at me. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now I let you have my grandson, your son. That's not happening. Be a jerk. Be a jerk. That's the secret to getting what you want, right? Be a jerk. Be weird. Half demonized. That's how you get what you want out of loved ones. Time with grandchildren can become lust very easily. A purchase. We've covered this. Lust is set into you. I've ordered a new vehicle. Um, which some of you are so excited about because my truck is 16 years old and you've said, Pastor, just buy something already. So I, I told my wife, if I'm buying a truck, I'm buying what I want. It's, it's going to be a Toyota 4Runner. So if I'm buying what I want, I'm buying what I want. So we went to the dealership like six weeks ago, whenever it was, spent some time shopping. My dad taught me how to visit. That's the McMichael way of saying, looking forever while you save money and buying nothing and frustrating all the salespeople. That's what visiting means. <laughs> So I ordered it. Well, they, I, this is what I want, and this is what I want. We went through it. We, we just customized it because if I'm buying it, it's going to be what I want and nothing I don't. Well, if you're going to put that on there, it comes with something else. I don't want the something else. I want that. Well, then we're going to throw that away. I don't care. I don't want that. I want this. Put that on there. It's going to be 600 bucks. I don't care. I'm buying a new vehicle. This only happens every 16 years, so give me what I want. So the guy says, all right, good guy. He, we actually were friends with him. He knows my wife from CrossFit from a couple years ago. So he says, all right, well, we're, we're going to look to see if it's in our region so you can have it soon. I said, I don't care how long it takes. Seriously? I said, yeah. He, so they looked around, and they couldn't find it anywhere within their 500-mile radius. He said, we're going to have to custom order it out of Japan. I said, I don't care. He said, it could take like two months to get here. I don't care. You heard me say I've had the same truck for 16 years, right? What's another two months to me? If you don't get this for me, I'll just keep driving this thing because it works. You don't understand, I'm not like someone in the Upper Cumberland who just leased a car from you two years ago. I'm already upside down on the payments, and it's a lease, and I want another one for seven years. It's not how I work. So I did text, and I called him yesterday, uh, Friday. I drove past the dealership. His name is Josh. I said, hey, Josh. He said, hey, Chris. I said, where's my truck at, man? <laughs> I said, my kids want to know. No, I'm just kidding. I'm lying. I want to know. Where's my truck at, man? It's been a month and a half or so. So anyway... A purchase, you can get into so much lust and then the purchase comes and you realize it didn't fill you up, didn't make you happy. I got to keep moving here. A position and job, a job, a, you get into a church. What happened to my worship position? It gone. I want to be on the worship team. You're not going to be there. I want to be the preacher. No, you don't. 
I want to be in charge. You can't even get yourself here on time. Why would we put you in charge of anything? When you're in charge, you got to be here an hour and a half early and you stay an hour. Like I'm the last one to leave most of the time, folks. And you guys queue up. Why don't you come on time or come to Sunday school? If you would come on time or come to Sunday school, you would have to queue up with me after I've already been here four hours longer than you. No, you don't want to be here. You don't want to in charge. You want the notoriety. And you don't want that either. You can be in lust over position. Be happy where God puts you. He has you where he trusts you. That's at the bottom. That's where he trusts you right now. <laughs> at the bottom. Power. Same issue. You don't want power. You think you do. Influence, acceptance. Let's look at Timothy real quick. Second uh, Timothy chapter two. Acceptance is the number one thing all young people lust after. It's the number one thing. It causes more sin, more rebellion, more rejection, more demonism in young people than anything else. We, if we were to put a name to the heart of it, that name is acceptance. I lust to be accepted. I will not be happy until I'm accepted. And then if you start to chase that rabbit, you'll find you'll never be accepted by enough people. And the only reason you lust to be accepted is because the other heart is insecurity. A secure person can be happy whether they're accepted or rejected. Everybody wants to be liked. I get that. But if you don't like me at the end of the day, I go home and I serve God and he talks to me and I feel sorry for you. I'm not going to change who I am to get you to like me. I'm going to change who you are to get God to honor you. That's how this works. So 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, verse 22, flee also youthful lusts. When you're full of sexual temptation, what, what you read there is flee sex. But when you read it in context of the Bible and the other two verses, it says in a great house, there's many vessels, some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore will purge himself from these, the dishonorable vessels, he'll be a sanctified vessel meet for the master's use. The context is people in the house of God, people in life who are honorable and dishonorable. And so that would only make sense. Why in the, if it's sex, why does it go from vessels of honor and dishonor in the local house to sex? It makes more sense when you understand the heart behind the issue that the, the, the lust is acceptance. Too often Christians pursue acceptance from dishonorable vessels. Don't pursue dishonorable vessels. A dishonorable vessel is anybody who doesn't serve God, anybody who doesn't want God, anybody who plays games with God. I don't pursue those people. I don't pursue their opinion. I don't pursue their acceptance. I don't pursue their favor or opinion. They ought to pursue mine. They ought to pursue yours because you walk with God. So the number one uh, thing all young people lust for is acceptance. It's why they get tattoos. It's why they get piercings. It's why little girls go places they shouldn't with little boys they shouldn't. It's why social media is one of the most damning, destructive tools ever unleashed on a generation. It's driven our suicide and our depression rates exponentially through the roof. And parents thought they were being good parents by giving their kids tools that parents themselves send with. If you hurt yourself with it, why would you give it to a child? Brother Robert, you're a carpenter. You're well-trained. You've built many houses. You ever hurt yourself with your own tools? All the time. You and Jeff Harris. Jeff Harris, you're an expert mechanic. You ever hurt yourself? How many cuts have you super glued together? <laughs> All of them. Lots of them. He want to show me pictures. I say, pastor doesn't work that way. I will pass out. You got to see this gash, man. It was down to the bone. I super glued it back. You want to see what it looked like before I super glued it back? No. How'd you do that? Dropped a tow motor on myself. Don't do that. And don't show me the picture either. 
These guys are experts with their tools and they hurt themselves with it. You don't give it to 12-year-olds. You don't give a 12-year-old a nail gun or skill saw and you don't give a 12-year-old a smartphone because you as adults get into porn on your own phone. You get into gossip on your own phone. You don't give that to a child who you can't even trust to make up their bed and do the dishes. You're going to trust them with access to the World Wide Web. You're an ignorant parent. Acceptance, sex, we get that. Lust, sexual perversion, and everything that goes with that. You can get into lust over a trip or a vacation. Everybody around you gets a vacation, but you don't. Why don't we get a vacation? We can't afford to. Why don't you love me enough to work two jobs? Because I love you enough to stay home. Last time you complained because I was working two jobs. You don't love me enough. You won't ever come home. Now I'm home. Now we don't have enough money to take a vacation. Make up your mind, woman. Let's go to Gatlinburg. That's Gatlinburg. That's not a vacation. Let's go to the catfish farm in Baxter. We were just there last week, and what do you want, woman? You knew what you were marrying when you said yes. There is such thing as vacation lust. Well, we went on vacation to Tybee Island. We went on vacation to Cabo. We went on vacation to Hawaii. Then it becomes a weird one-upmanship. How about you go where you want to go? How about you go where it's peaceful? Don't take people if it's not peaceful. <laughs> Vacation's about vacating your normal life. So don't take people you don't like, even if they're willing to pay for it. Amen, because that just means you're miserable, far away, and far from home. And what happens if you have a blow-up? You can't go anywhere. You're sharing the same condo. A move, you could be so in lust. I can't wait to get out of Cookville. I can't wait to get out of this little town. That can be a lust. And it can ruin your life, etc. All right, the nature of contentment. Contentment is an internal strength of self-control that renders an individual independent of external circumstances. Let's read that again. Contentment is an internal strength. So discontentment is a weakness. It's an internal strength of self-control that renders an individual independent of external circumstances. When you are content, the external does not move you. It doesn't move you off your foundation, doesn't move you off your faith. The Greek word indicates self-sufficiency, but I, I like it because it doesn't imply that we are uh, a rejection of God. I don't need God, I'm self-sufficient. It means an independence from temporal sources of peace, joy, or fulfillment. I am self-sufficient. I don't need that car to have joy. I don't need that spouse to have joy. I don't need that vacation to have fulfillment. I don't need to have a thousand friends on Facebook liking every petty picture I post to have fulfillment. I am content in and of myself. I don't need to date anybody to be content. Some of you, you're in lust date. You can't stand to be alone. You're needy. That is lust. And the thing is, that boy or that girl might exploit that and get you in bed with them. You are complete in him. That's Colossians 2.10. The previous verse says, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. And you are complete in him. He's complete and you're complete in him. And if you're complete in him, I said this when I was a single man for many years. If I'm complete in him, I have need of nothing. And when you believe it, you find out, man, nothing moves you. I don't need anybody to like me. I don't need anybody to approve of me. I just need my God to support me. I need my pastor to endorse me. I need my boss to approve of my work for him. 
but all this other stuff is just peripheral. I don't need a girl in my life. I don't need a girlfriend. I don't need a fiance. I am complete in Christ. I have need of nothing. That takes maturity, but that's how you beat lust. Contentment is an internal strength of self-control. I got two of these. Excuse me. An internal uh, control that renders an individual independent of external circumstances. It is self-control of the mind, the will, and the emotions. Contentment is self-control of the mind, the will, and the emotions. There are such things as spending addicts, and they spend because it gives them a dopamine hit. You can control your emotions without swiping a credit card. We looked at this during the offertory. Philippians 4.11 says, I have learned to be content. Contentment must be learned, which also means you've got to be used to disappointment. That is almost anathema and heresy in this country. We, we have coddled a whole generation or two to flee disappointment. And if you don't approve me, if you don't make me happy, I'll dump you or divorce you and I'll find somebody that brings me happiness because you have disappointed me. Get used to disappointment. It's part of life. Contentment must be learned. Contentment is a work of grace. Let's look at that verse real quick. 2 Corinthians 9, 18, or 9, 8. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you having all sufficiency, that is the word contentment, you having all contentment in all things, you having grace will have all contentment in all things. Sufficiency, this is the same word we looked at in the previous slide, self-sufficiency. When the grace of God is upon you, you are self-sufficient. When the grace of God is upon you, you have all sufficiency in all things and you can abound in every good work. When you are graced, you are content to be single. You're content in the job you're in. You're content in the house you have. You're content with the car you drive until God sees fit to change otherwise. We have the American dream coursing through our veins where we pull ourselves up by bootstraps and we never ask God if we were supposed to pull up yet. We never ask God for permission to make the move. We never ask God for permission to take the job. We never ask God permission to take, get the degree. We never ask God for the permission. We just did it ourselves because we were discontent. When I was first out of college and in my baby geology career, I was not being paid a lot of money and it was tight. And I began looking in every direction on how to make more money. Most of it ended up in a master's degree program, either at Virginia Tech or UT. Virginia Tech because they had the premier structural geology program there, UT, because it was five minutes from my, my office in Knoxville. I, I was discontent where God had me. And I, I just, it was miserable trying to go in every direction. I eventually had to submit, say, Lord, whatever you want is what I'll do. Never got my master's degree, but it wasn't for lack of trying. Contentment is a command not a suggestion. Hebrews 3, 5 says, let us therefore be content with such things as, he ha as we have. As he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Be content where you are. When you're content where you are, your mind doesn't daydream about what you want. Because when your mind daydreams about what you want, you act like you don't have it outwardly, but in your heart, you're already there. And that'll rot you from the inside. Let's take singlehood. You can put on this facade like you're content being single and you can have an eye for a gal or a guy, but you know that you're not supposed to look like you like them. So you put on this facade like you don't like them and you avoid them, but inwardly you're not content. You're just playing a legalistic game. Meanwhile, the, the fire smolders 
and it ruins you. When you're truly content, you don't daydream. When you're truly content, you don't pursue in your heart. When you're truly content, you're not worried about stuff. When you're truly content, I'm just happy where I am. Joyful. I'm just joyful where I'm at. I was telling one of our young people, I said, uh, one of my pastors taught me this years ago, this is how fickle and stupid the heart is. This is, works really for guys. He said, you, you notice, I was a single guy, so I could really appreciate it. He was married, is married. He said, uh, when you're in a store like Lowe's or Bass Pro or something, and you see a pretty girl, your heart takes note of her. And it doesn't matter where you go in that store, you'll always figure out where she is. You're not with her. You're married to somebody else. You're engaged to somebody else. You're dating somebody else. You're not technically even talking to them, but your heart knows they're in the sporting goods section now. Now I just saw them in lawn and garden. I just saw them by the checkout. I wonder, then your heart says, I wonder if I'll get to see them on the backside of lighting. That is lust. You're not, you're not going home with them. You haven't even talked to them. You're not even getting in bed with them. Your heart just tracks them everywhere you go, but you act like you don't even see them. You are deluded. You are deceived. You are heaping up for yourself deception inside of you. And you'll not be able to hear from God because you've already made up your mind. You're just going through the religious little perfunctory role of what Christianity looks like on the outside. That's deception. Contentment is a command. It's not a suggestion. And it's not about acting like you don't want it. If you want it, you take it to God. Say, Lord, oh, I'm eat up with this. Lord, I, I hate this truck so bad. I want a new one so bad. Nevertheless, I will be contented by your presence and thank, thankful for the situation I'm in. I'll keep driving this truck or this car or working this job until your hand promotes me. Amen. All right, keep going. We've got lots to go still. Contentment is being joyful where you are on the way to where you're going. If you're not joyful, you're not content. If you're squawking, squeaking, belly aching, crying, you're not joyful. You can tell you've hit the content zone because you're just smiling. Got no wife, got no car, got nobody on the line, no car prospect, man. You just, but I'm happy because I got God and I can't go anywhere but up from here. <laughs> but if you can't be content at the bottom, you won't be content anywhere along the way. Death and hell are never full. Maintaining joy is key to mastering lust. Some of you still look like the Easter Island head baptized in vinegar. Just, just being dared to make me laugh. When my kids get in that funk, I activate daddy robot. Sometimes I say, bud, bud, come over here and activate daddy robot. He just hits an imaginary button and daddy robot comes because you can't be a little grump turd when daddy's talking like a robot. And then I the big guns are go get the happy blanket. I don't care where you're at in my house. I'll throw the happy blanket on you and the other kids will jump on you and just, you're going to have to be happy. Maybe pastor robot comes out and I bring the happy blanket. Cause some of you, man, you were just, you're like, you're doing your best to look like you're going to hell. <laughs> your face is already there. I mean, if you were, if your face was an advertisement for Christ, nobody would get saved. Cause they're like, I, I already been there. I was doing drugs to not look like that. <laughs> that's what you look like for free? Mm, no, no, I think I'll try somebody else, not that Jesus. Joy is found in Christ, nowhere else. Nehemiah 18 says, stop crying. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And Galatians 5.22 says, now the fruit of the Spirit is, not was, is joy. 
Joy, uh, joy mastered internally will restrain lust externally. Let's look at 2 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy. Some folks, man, they just, they have forgotten how to smile and how to be happy. You don't need stuff to be happy. One of the things Pastor Ingolf said about the underground church under the East Berlin, East Germany times under communism, communism doesn't bring happiness to anybody. Socialism doesn't bring happiness to anybody but the lazy people who refuse to work. He said, we had little to nothing under East German times, but we had more joy than the Western church did. And when we travel to the, the bush of Africa, we find people that have next to nothing compared to what you and I have. And yet they have a joy and a smile that radiates children who don't have shoes till they're 10. I like going to the most remote places. I, my heart thrives there. Children who don't have shoes till they're 10 and they have bigger smiles than your kids do with five Xboxes and two Playstations and a Nintendo Switch and all the food they could want and drinking soda pop and your kids are dysfunctional, don't have a smile and aren't happy unless they get two grand spent on them at Christmas and then they want to know where the batteries. And these children, man, I've watched them like, like our generations or our nation used to do, just roll a wheel down the road with a stick. I never saw that in person until I went to Africa. I always saw it in movies, like Little Rascals or something. That's what they have for toys, and they're happy. And you smile at them and wave, and they wave back. You smile at one of your kids and wave at them, and your kids look at you like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, it's pastor. I have to be happy. You got every toy under the sun and no joy. Joy mastered internally will restrain lust externally. 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment is not the same as satisfaction. So let's split that hair real quick. Here's where we take some pressure off of some of you. Satisfaction sets in when you determine something to be enough. I don't want anymore. We don't have permission to be satisfied unless we're ready to die. Once you're satisfied, you'll stop forward advancement. Once you're satisfied, like it's good enough. That's, that's enough. Let's go home. That's enough. That's the final touch. Now we're diminishing returns. Let's just go home. Abraham only died after he was satisfied, fully sated, fully filled up. We don't have permission to be satisfied with any area of our life until we, God says, that's done. That's as good as it's ever going to get. We often play God and we say, that's as good as it's ever going to get, so I'm not going to work on it anymore. That's satisfaction. Satisfaction can, become very, can be, become very sinful if we're not careful. Be content, but never satisfied. Be content, but never satisfied. Be content single, but not satisfied. Be content where you're at in your career, but never satisfied. Be content with your influence, but never satisfied. Be content with your income level, but never satisfied. Be content, because they're both commands. It's a tenuous balance. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God's grace will content us. Uh, that's where the Lord told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. It's our same word. My grace will content you. So when you're not content and you've not learned content, contentment, what you're revealing is that there's a lack of grace on that area of your life. Grace is always taken away because of pride, stubbornness, lack of humility. Wherever you're not content, there's no grace. There's no grace because there's no, uh, there's no humility. So how we find contentment is by finding the grace of God. Now, and of course, it all plays together in this giant little do loop in the Greek. The root word for grace, grace is charisma, and the root word is charis, which is joy. So joy, 
produces grace. Grace contents you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It just keeps going in circles. No joy, no grace. No grace, no contentment. No contentment, we know you got no joy. Be at peace among yourselves, the Bible says. Satisfaction and coping are often synonymous. This is why we reject satisfaction. Contentment is what we need as we advance and yet don't have it yet. Satisfaction says, I don't want to advance anymore. At some point, your unwillingness to advance is really you just throwing in the towel and just giving up and saying, I'm just going to accept that this is the way it's going to be the rest of my life. Never do that with healing. Never do that with lost loved ones. Never do that with your marriage. Never do that with your kids. You never throw in the towel. You keep believing, you keep speaking, you keep declaring, you keep praying, you keep asking, seeking, knocking, because God commanded us to. But between that and the door being open, you've got to be content. Between that and finding, you've got to be content. Rather than advance against opposition with the aid of the soul-stabilizing force of contentment, many will choose to mask their defeat as satisfaction and merely cope with that defeat the rest of their life. We are called to be more than conquerors, not mediocre copers. We are more than conquerors. We cope with nothing. Coping just means like, eh, I guess it's just going to be this way the rest of my life. Man, you got to hate whatever that thing is that doesn't line up with the word and just keep commanding it, keep commanding it, keep commanding it to line up. So I have authority over you, assuming you do. I have authority over you. Be fixed, be healed, be whole, be strong. I command my loved one to come back to Christ. I command my marriage to be full of love and patience. I command zeal to return to my faith. You don't cope. You learn coping from mama. She's weird. Mama's weird. Now, not my mama. Because she could be streaming right now. If there's any weird in me, it came from my daddy. I saw an interview with A-Rod. Um, A-Rod, you know, New York Yankee guy, he's my age. And he's, he's very successful and very wealthy, just beyond even his baseball career. But he said this, he spends a lot of time with Warren Buffett. And this is a guy that, he has more money than he'll ever need, but he still hangs around with the sharpest people. He said this because I want to be better in life. And this is a guy who, again, at my age, will have more than anybody in America will ever know, for the most part. He made this quote, and I don't know where he got it, and I couldn't find it, but he said, you are only the average of the five people you hang out with the most. And I said, look at that. Wisdom from a pagan. You are the average of the five people you hang out with the most. So take it. This goes back to how we prayed Friday night. Who do you hang out with? You're the average of all five of them. I've only got one friend. <laughs> well... Are you the better of the both of you? Or are you the lesser of the both of you? <laughs> Make sure you don't run with mediocre people or copers. If your family's weird, don't let them be who you hang out with. Come out from among them. Spend time with higher caliber people. God even acknowledges they're higher caliber people. You and I both know they're higher caliber people. You teachers understand, you look at those students, you think you're not all the same in here. There ain't no equality in this classroom. You that work sports, you look at that team, they ain't all equal here. You don't all put it in. You don't all work hard. You don't all deserve the trophy. You don't all make the play for the game. Some of you just bench warmer, which is why you bench warm. 
The only heat you put in is out of your rump on the bleacher. We have created another tension here in our teaching. Lust pulls one way. Satisfaction pulls the opposite. Lust wants, 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 wants. Satisfaction says, meh. I just think I'll get some Rocky Road ice cream. Lust wants and wants and strives to get. Satisfaction sits back and does nothing, claiming it de desires nothing more. Both attitudes must be judged by God's word and the heart driving either condition adjusted. You can neither be lust-filled or satisfied. You have to be down the middle of the road, not your little crazy, lazy-eyed pigeon. You got to be down the middle of the road, driven for God, but content till I get there. Desirous of more, but content till it comes. Otherwise, you'll lose your mind and quit. And that's the condition of a lot of saints. Desires, if judged to be lustful, must be restrained. This will take discipline. Satisfaction, if judged to be lazy or defeatist, must be jump-started. This will take a consistent work ethic. A lot of folks just get so defeated, they say, I didn't want it anyway. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever said that themselves? When you say, most of the time when you say, I didn't really want it anyway, what you're saying is, I'm defeated and I'm ashamed and I don't want to do what it takes to get it. A lot of folks, they don't make the ball team, the sports team. I didn't really want it anyway. That's their way of coping with defeat. Where faith says, bless God, if God wants me to have it, I'll practice in the off season, I'll make the team next year. Or if it's a job, I didn't get the job. Well, I didn't, I didn't really want that job anyway. What if God wants you to have that job? What if you need to pray harder? What if you need to knock on doors higher up? Both my wife and I were turned down from the jobs God had for us when we moved back from Indy to come here. My wife put in a, a job at, at uh, Averett. She got it turned down. She said she knew by the spirit of God it was her job and another woman got it. And she wanted to be defeated. But she said, no, that's my job. And the woman quit like a week later. They called my wife and said, this is your job. Me at the zinc mine, I put in resume after resume after resume, human resource guy, Quincy. I know his last name, but I won't say it. Quincy, he kept emailing me. Man, you don't have the criteria. You don't have what it takes. You don't have the criteria. You don't have what it takes. I'm sorry. We appreciate your interest, but you don't have what it takes. But I knew it's where God wanted me to be. And they finally hired me on. And Quincy said, well, I, I guess we're hiring you on. I said, yeah, remember those emails? Yeah, well, you just hired me on. So then six months later, they gave me this huge promotion. And I printed off this first email that said, you don't have the criteria, you don't have what it takes. And I took it into him. I said, remember this email, Quincy, from two years ago? He says, you know, his name, Quincy. Yeah. I said, you know that promotion I got? Yeah, I just wanted to remind you. <laughs> and now he was a good guy and he was, very, he was very good at what he did. He got fired a couple months after that. And I thought, hmm, I'm still here. Apparently he's the one that didn't have the criteria or the qualifications. <laughs> I don't know why they let him go. He was a good guy though. Mix the two together and the balance is called contentment. Real quick on sexual lust. We cover this in Sunday school. We hit pretty hard in Sunday school. You may want to go back and look at the stream till like YouTube censors me or something because we talked about sexual sin. Yeah. The sexual appetite's a God-given appetite. Like all appetites, it must be harnessed and used for the glory of God. Like the appetite for food, the appetite for success, acceptance. Unchecked appetites will destroy you. Be they food, success, or sex. You don't check these appetites, they'll kill you. Sexual lust is desiring sex in a way with a person or at a time the Bible condemns. The Bible condemns intimacy with any person of the opposite sex. 
The Bible condemns it. God will never honor it. It will always be fornication. A lot of churches are advancing same-sex whatever, but I always just wonder, how do you get around the whole fornication thing? Anytime they're intimate, it's fornication. God condemns it. Don't even go with the marriage aspect of it, just the fornication of it. They're intimate, it's fornication because they're not married, nor will they ever be married in the eyes of God. doesn't matter what a civil government says. Sexual lust is desiring sex in a way or with a person or at a time the Bible condemns. Sex is for the express covenant of marriage. And if you're not married, you don't get to have any. And you shouldn't be thinking about any. So dry up anything that would advertise it to you, even if it's a Coca-Cola commercial. Any act of sex outside of marriage automatically involves lust because it violates God's purpose, design, plan, or timing. The desire must be disciplined and mastered. First Thessalonians, let's look there real quick. This may be one of our last two verses. You learning anything? Very general, very quick. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Sanctification, abstain from fornication. 1 Corinthians 9.27 says, Therefore I put, I put my body under, I keep it under, lest after I preach to others I myself should be a castaway. So if you become a fornicator as a Christian, you could become a castaway or reprobate. Romans 6.19, uh, I don't know what that verse says off the top of my head. Let's, I'll turn there and read it to you real quick because we're running out of time. 6.19 says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as you have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. Your members, that is your body, should be holy. 1 Corinthians 6, 13, 8, 7, 1, and 10, 8 all talk about no fornication. Fornication, fornication, fornication is bad, 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 bad. All these verses condemn it. The Bible says, come out from among them. Uh, chapter 6 talks about, don't you know your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost? Therefore, glorify God in your body. And then you've got uh, all these other ver verses that condemn um, sex along with homosexuality. Honestly, in the Bible, in these lists of sin, sex and homosexuality are always named above murder. Ephesians 5, 3, let me read that one. Let's turn there real quick. This is, our, I believe, our last verse. Ephesians 5, 3. But fornication and all uncleanness, so fornication makes you unclean, or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh the saints. Never should it be named among the saints of God. It should not be named in the church. That is a miracle if you can get there. Sleeping around joins your soul to countless partners until your soul is calloused and numb to say nothing of your body parts. When you sleep with somebody, you join your soul to them. It's designed that way by God because you're supposed to only be intimate with one person, your spouse, and you forever join your soul together. So imagine a guy or a girl who can just hop and hop and hop and hop and hop. They've fragmented their soul and a little bit of them resides with all these people in their past. The guy can only do it because he has no soul anyway. The girl does it for acceptance and she's just shattered and 
damaged to say nothing of their bodies. You must guard your heart and body. They belong to Jesus Christ first, then your spouse. If you don't have a spouse, then you only have to focus on Jesus Christ. I think that's it. Yep. Let's look at this last verse I did write. I think this is the one about being joined. Yep. This is the one that says, uh, no, you're not that your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, if you sin against it, you sin against your body. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Verse 18 says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is without the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his or her own body. Glorify God in your attitude and in your body, which are God's. So this is lust in a nutshell. It is a discontented appetite that you're not looking to Jesus for the answer. You're satisfying it yourself. We have to make sure we judge ourselves in that. That is one of our Achilles heels in this church, but it is probably in every church because of the heart and flesh. But make sure you resolve it. Use these scriptures. We've covered this in a very wide, broadcast manner. There has surely something been said to help you with your grandchildren appetites or your shopping appetites or your new vehicle appetites. Surely something has been said that can help you with visual lust or sensual lust. You've got to fix this in your life. You're supposed to sanctify your own vessel. You're supposed to know how to possess it for honor unto God.